Amen. You know, the Holy Spirit is thick in this place this morning. I can feel him. It's the, the, the pressure waiting on my shoulders and I can barely lift my hands. But you know, I know that this week um, has been a crazy week. And you've probably had a crazy week too, I don't know. But for me, it was just one of those weeks that was kind of off the charts. And I know that the, the enemy has been very much at work trying to discredit, trying to throw me off, trying to take me out to the point where I'm even getting phone calls, okay, on my phone um, while we're singing the chorus of that song, okay? And I mean, most everybody knows that I preach on Sunday, um, and I don't know, you know, there must be an emergency situation, but we'll, we'll check with them later. But we're going to be in Romans 12 today. And you know, uh, 12-2, and you know, one of the criticisms of the church today is that the people in the church are no different than the other people are in the world. And certainly there is, in a sense, that we are just like everyone else. I mean, certainly, <laughs> we're not perfect people. And um, by any stretch of the imagination, we, we struggle, we fail. We get discouraged, we get angry, we do stupid things. You know, Romans 3, uh, 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So the saying is true that Christians aren't perfect, they are forgiven though however when people look at the church and they see nothing distinctive about it except its rules and regulations then maybe something's wrong I mean when they hear talk about professions of faith but see no evidence of faith in the way people live there's a problem when people look at the church they should see people who are growing and working at grace, at kindness, at forgiveness. And I want to say people who are more committed to their marriages, more committed to their, their job, more committed to their family, more committed to their, their country than anyone else in the world. They should see some difference in us. This is the message that the Apostle Paul was trying to get us and the readers of Romans to understand in Romans 12. He wants us to see that since we are a people who were dead in our sin, that we have now been made alive by God's Spirit and His sovereign grace because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that we should live differently. See, Paul begins with the, the 12th chapter by challenging us to respond to God's wonderful mercy. To respond to that and, and by giving ourselves in service to him. And he doesn't just want us to understand what Christians believe, as important as that is. He, 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 it's not just that. He also wants us to learn how to walk with Christ and live differently in a brand new life. 
Paul continues the thought here. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would just impress upon our hearts and minds through your Holy Spirit what you want us to take away from this time together this morning. But God, I pray that it would be transformational. I pray that, that Father, we would recognize your work in our lives and desire more of that and less of the world around us. Father, we're thankful for all that you do for us. Guide us in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This one verse, chapter 12, verse 2, is very practical and it's very to the point. I like the fact that it nicely falls into like three different parts here. I mean, what are we to avoid? Conforming to the pattern of the world. Don't let the world squeeze us into its mold. Secondly, what we are to do instead, which is be transformed in the renewal of our minds. And then third, the event that comes from doing this is then we will be able to test and prove what God's will is. This is huge. And I, I want to take just a few moments this morning to focus on three questions. And, and that that this command of God raises in my heart and I hope in yours. What is the pattern of the world that we are supposed to avoid is the, number, is the first question. Secondly, how do we go about renewing our mind? And thirdly, how does this help us to find God's will for our lives? So we go to the, the first one there. What is the pattern of the world? You know, Paul tells us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, not to be conformed to the world around us. And unfortunately, that's like <laughs> telling someone that they need to um, replace the timing belt on their car. I mean, when, when, when people, when you say that, sometimes it, their eyes just glaze over. Because it's like, you know, they can nod and they can acknowledge, okay, I needed to replace the timing belt in my car. And, and they might even repeat it to some other people and they, they could probably even memorize it. But if they don't know where the belt is located or how to repair it, they won't be able to, to do what they're being told to do. So it's important that we learn to recognize, to be able to see worldly thinking as it's around us. And I want to give you four characteristics. If you're taking notes, write these down. Four characteristics of worldly thinking. The first one is that humanity... Humanity is the center of everything. See, this is best illustrated by the obsession that our country has and, and, and general misunderstanding that people have with something that we call the separation of the church and state. I mean, this is the way most people think about it. It's okay to dabble in religious stuff as long as you don't allow it to impact your daily living. That's not what that means, but that's how many Americans interpret it. See, a person who is a secularist, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is someone who believes that religion should not be involved with the ordinary social and political activities of a country. 
This person does not believe in a God that oversees and rules the universe. They don't believe in the afterlife and they don't believe in things eternal. The only thing that matters is the right here and right now. Several years ago, I remember reading about a death penalty verdict overturned in a court because the jury referenced the Bible in making their decision. Folks, this is a great picture of a clash of worldviews. You have the secular worldview and it has no room in it for Christian faith that impacts lives. Second characteristic of worldly thinking, experience is more important than the truth. I say that because our society around us tends to measure the importance of things by how it makes me feel. You hear people say like, well, it works for me. What matters to the world is not whether or not something is true. It is whether or not it meets my needs and makes me feel fulfilled. That's often called pragmatism. Does it work? How does it make me feel? Third characteristic, images are valued above substance and words. I mean, social scientists tell us that we are no longer linear thinkers. In other words, our society doesn't wrestle with arguments anymore. People get more of their beliefs from the television, from movies, and the internet than from books or even from the Bible. See, we are living in a time that emphasizes sound bites over rational discussion. I mean, think about even our, our national elections. Candidates use airtime to try to look good, to look calm, and to look like a leader. Questions are asked and they're sidestepped in order to get sound bites out to the audience. And the people running the campaigns understand that a good image is better than a good platform. A bad photo op will overshadow the most articulate candidate. Fourth, fourth characteristic of worldly thinking is values are relative. In our present society, morality and values are determined not by God's standard. They're not determined by God's standard, but they're determined by human opinion. And so values change according to the individual and the flow of public opinion. And the key character trait is sincerity. See, this values, I want to say, neutral society, it it opens the door. It opens the door for immoral relationships. Why? Because it makes me feel better. It makes me feel good. I'm fulfilled in this immoral relationship. It opens the door to stealing from your employer, ripping them off. Well, I deserve to be paid more than I'm being paid. Or even when it comes to our taxes, well, the government's going to waste my hard-earned money. Or even billing your insurance for something that didn't happen. Because, you know, those insurance companies are overcharging us and lying to get ahead. Because everybody does it. 
even sanctioning and giving special benefits and protections to depraved behaviors such as homosexuality. Well, but they love each other. Brothers and sisters, this is our standard of truth. This is our standard. In each case, wrong behavior, according to the Bible, is rationalized in a way that makes it appear virtuous. We got this problem. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to renew your mind? The Apostle Paul says that we are not to conform to this way of thinking, the world's way of thinking, but we're to be transformed. And the word for transformed is the word that we get metamorphosis from. And when we think about that, it's, it's the difference of a caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out as a butterfly. That is a radical change. That's what he's talking about here when he says, but be transformed. And I think this is huge because it's the same word that is used when Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration. And he is standing there with Moses and Elijah and his robe and his countenance were changed. They were radiant because he was, he was transformed. And, and really, that's what he's telling us. We need to be transformed. And, and I ask the question, so, so how does this take place? How are we transformed? And to help us understand, we need to, we need to learn some things from, from grammar in the text. And I know grammar's a little boring, okay, but hang with me here. Uh, in this case, it's very significant. Okay, so think about this with me. Transformation is not a one-time event but it's a continuous process, okay? It doesn't, it's not a one-time event, it, it's a continuous process that happens over time. And the command in the Greek here is in the present tense, and so Paul is saying this, continue to let yourself be transformed. Continue to let yourself be transformed. It's not a decision that we make one time, it's a lifestyle that we pursue of being transformed. And so this transformation comes from God's power. And the verb in, is in the passive tense. Simply put, it means that the one being changed is being acted upon by another. It is God who is the one who is making the transition, the transformation. The verse could probably read like this, let yourselves continue to be transformed. See, God's spirit brings this, this change in our thinking and we need to let God do his work. And since the verb is in the imperative mood, it means that even though God is the one who brings about the change, our responsibility is still not canceled. We still have a part to play in that. There are things we need to do in order to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. See, as any deadly poison needs an antidote, so worldly thinking needs to be counteracted. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, it begins with a different foundation. We have to recognize that we're not here by chance. <laughs> I mean, the antidote to secularism is to believe the first four words 
of the Bible when it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The world did not just happen. The world that we live in was designed by a creator. It's intelligently designed. We have to have that eternal perspective. And we believe that that right now counts forever. It's not just here and now and this is all there is. But the things we are doing now count forever. What we do here has an eternal impact. See, the antidote for relativism is to recognize that God has spoken. That God has given us his instruction in the Bible. And the Bible is our standard of authority. It's our standard of truth. And we may not always understand and we may not always agree as to how to interpret certain passages. But what we do understand about what's in this book, we obey. (laughs) That's huge. I mean, wouldn't it be great if believers in Christ, if, if Christians studied the word of God as carefully as we look at social media looking for likes for our posts. I mean, consider how our thinking would change if we studied the Bible as carefully as we study the videotape of our golf swing. Or as we study, you know, the the report from our Scott and White, my chart. Oh, we read every word because we want to know. Since the Holy Bible is our standard of truth, we must become acquainted with the standard. See, folks, we need to think critically. And that doesn't mean we should criticize everybody. Hear what I'm saying. It means that we should listen carefully to what people are saying. Whether it's an author, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a newscaster or even a friend, we need to listen carefully to what those around us are saying to us. I mean, here are some simple principles for thinking more critically. We have to study our culture diligently. We need to identify those presuppositions, those things that our society takes for granted. We need to look at those carefully. We have to evaluate everything theologically. In other words, in every situation, we should start with a simple question. Has the Bible spoken on this issue already? If it has spoken, then we must hear and obey. We also need to engage the culture wisely you know sometimes we hear people say things and 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 they may say something is uh is wrong behavior you know we we when we say something is wrong behavior they say well you don't know what situation this person is in if you were in their situation you might do the same thing you've heard it and so have i and the proper response again is you might be right I don't always do the right thing. But the question is not what might I do. The question is what is the right thing to do? But oh, how we want others to to, to comfort and soothe bad behavior. 
Others might say, well, hey, a person can't help the way they are. It sounds noble, but it's wise to respond. Do you believe that to be true about child molesters and psychotic killers? I mean, don't we all, don't all people have to control the urges of some sort? I mean, what is the standard of right and wrong? And others may say things like, but, but those people aren't hurting anybody. And we should respond, if what they are doing is moving them further away from the Lord, then aren't they at least hurting themselves and those around them? Are they not eroding the foundations of truth? See, the wise person will engage the culture with questions rather than declarations. And our goal is to help other people think and to see the implications of their words and their deeds and their ideas. And as I read through this passage, this this verse, I'm I'm just, you know, so, so how will this help us find God's will? Paul says, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me state that another way. If you do not renew your mind and you do not turn from the thinking of the world, you will not be able to discern the will of God. I mean, Paul is saying that the will of God is found when we hear what God tells us in his word and begin to obey in faith. It's not found simply through knowledge, but it's through knowledge that is applied. Think about it as as having a flashlight on a dark obstacle course. You can't see very far in front of you, but you can see the next step. And you're able to finish the course without trouble. You know, Gerald Sitzer, he writes this. He says, the will of God, as it turns out, is not something we need to discover. For it's as plain as the nose on our face. Rather, it's something we need to do. See, in moments when I am brutally honest with myself and I realize that my anxious efforts to discover the will of God distract me from facing the real issue. See, I, I simply do not do the will of God that is already very clear to me. I would rather assign the will of God to the, the far off future where I can safely and anxiously contemplate it as a range of options from which I must choose one. That's what we do. Well, when I do this, then I'll be able to, to follow God's will. Then I'll be able to know God's will. Then I'll be able to do God's will. And God's will may be for you to do what lies closest to hand. But we like to pick and choose. See, our problem is not that we don't know the will of God. It's that we don't do the will of God that we already know. Folks, it's not ignorance that plagues us. It is a lack of faith and a stubbornness of heart. Sometimes we're kind of like a teenager who thinks about what he's going to do on the upcoming weekend as a convenient excuse 
for not doing the chores that are assigned for today. You know, earlier this summer, I'm almost done. Earlier this summer, um, we put a pool up in our backyard and um, we went away on vacation. And we came back and it was green. It was yucky. It looked horrible. It was pathetic. So we began trying to figure that out. And, um, you know, I pulled that pull filter out. Oh, and it was stinky and nasty. That was gross. (laughs) But I would say that our mind is kind of like that pull filter. It filters all the junk that we are surrounded by and swimming in. We have to filter out of our lives the stinky, nasty debris that is all around us in our society. See, one of the many benefits of water is its cleansing ability, not only for our bodies, but also in our bodies. We read about this in in Paul's first century letter to his friends in in Ephesus, and, and he writes this in Ephesians 5. He says, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Her is us, the church, so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. See, he reminded them of how deeply Christ is committed to the church, the body of believers. And just as clear, fresh water cleanses our bodies, God's written word washes us clean deep, deep, deep inside our souls. It purifies our thoughts. It scrubs our motives. It it cleans our conscience as we absorb and obey its truth. You know how I got that pool filter clean? With fresh water. Sprayed it off really good with fresh water. And you know what? It became as white as snow just like my heart and your heart when we wash it with the word. You know, Jesus told his disciples in Luke 16, 10, he said, he who is faithful with very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Folks, we discover God's will one step at a time. One foot in front of the other as we walk with Jesus Christ through life. See, we discover God's will as we follow him on a daily basis. And as we follow and serve the Lord, we we find that, that his will opens up to us. And we begin to understand what he's doing and what he wants us to do. And we discover that God's will is good and pleasing and sufficient and very, very fulfilling. So, you know, every one of us is an imitator of sorts. I mean, this is easy for us to see in our little children. A child hears someone say something and that child will mimic 
what he or she hears. This is how we develop our language skills. And as we're growing up, we like to pretend that we are our favorite athlete. My grandson runs around in a, in a Chiefs number 15 jersey because he loves Patrick Mahomes, wants to be just like him. But the idea is, is, as we're growing up, we pretend to be our favorite athlete or, or musician or celebrity, and we cringe when we see our children pick up our bad habits. We recognize peer pressure among teenagers, and we've heard the studies that sex and violence on TV has an impact on the behavior of those who watch it. See, we continue to be imitators as we grow up. And we tend to mimic the people that we hang out with. We adopt their little catchphrases and pick up some of their idiosyncrasies and we we can easily absorb their values. Partly because we want to be accepted. As I wrap this up, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up and lead us in a a couple more um, songs of worship and You know, the Apostle Paul, he recognized the impact our culture has on us. He challenges us to be alert to the influences that are around us. He cautions us to be deliberate in the models that we imitate. He calls us to hang out with God so that his character will wear off on us. Spend time with God so that his character will wear off on us. He calls us to surround ourselves with godly thinking so that we can, so that others may see Christ in us. You know, if we want, if we want to see the world, notice the difference that Christ makes in a life. We need to consciously allow Christ to make that difference. In our life. See, we begin this process by taking control of our minds and bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. But let me, let me say this and I'm done. Columnist Sidney Harris said, our dilemma is that we hate change and love it at the same time. What we want is for things to remain the same, but to get better. For things to get better in your life, you must change. To change, you must be involved in the process of renewing your mind by God's word so that you are proving in practice God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. See, I challenge you this morning to ask God to help you do that. His word says that he won't withhold wisdom for whoever asks. If you want your life to be transformed, if you want your life to get better, then ask God to help you do that. I mean, begin with a daily time in the word. Link up with a a mentor that can, can guide you and help you. But don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be a conformer. Be a transformer.
and ask God to help. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, we know that your Holy Spirit is just uh, speaking to our hearts. Father, the truth is, is that none of us are are 100%. None of us are batting a thousand. And Father, we fall short every day, every week.